All right. What's up, everybody? And welcome to another episode of the Ladies Let's Talk About Sex podcast. I'm your host, Felicia, and I'm a lady talking about sex. This week, we have a very interesting episode, and we're actually going to be talking about race. Um, This is something that we as an organization with Sex and Self and with Ladies Let's Talk About Sex have been learning and growing and understanding, especially throughout the month of Black History Month. Um, Understanding how sexuality and race intersect and all of the different um, social, social variables that affect people of color. So this episode, we're going to be talking about what it's like to be a person of color in the context of McGill. So McGill University is the school that I go to. And as the podcast has been growing, we've actually been having a lot of conversations surrounding our institution. Um, how sexual violence is responded by McGill, how race is looked at at McGill, um, and how a variety of different subject areas have been discussed and conducted in the university context. So this week, I have some very lovely guests with us, Khan, Vanessa, and Shakira. Would y'all like to introduce yourselves and let people know a little bit about who you are? I don't know who wants to go first. Uh, Yeah, well, I'm Vanessa. I actually work at Sex and Self as an administrative coordinator. Um, So I'm very excited to be here on the podcast today. It's my first time. Um, Yeah, but I'm here with my co-facilitators for Being Black at McGill. It's an initiative that we're currently um, leading for Black students. Um, So yeah, I'm Vanessa. My pronouns are she, her. And yeah, I'm a student at McGill. I can go next. Uh, I'm Shakira. I also use she, her pronouns. I'm a student at McGill and I work with TLS as well as a few different SMU groups. I'm very excited to be here and talk about this new Being Black at McGill initiative and just like share the experiences of like myself as both a Black student and a facilitator for this really cool project we've been working on. Hi, my name's Khan, and I am, uh, I'm a McGill alumni, so I did both my undergrad and my graduate degree here at McGill. Um, I also work as a local clinical counselor, manage my own private practice. Um, I'm a psychology instructor at the SAGEP uh, slash college level. Uh, I also work as a consultant in the area of diversity, equity, and inclusion. Uh, And I also work in terms of developing trainings, workshops, and uh, educational guides. So as we're kind of talking about the initiative that y'all are running, um, I think this is something obviously very new to McGill and especially looking at race in the concept, in the context of, you know, university institutions, but even just as university students. um, Why do you feel like there's been kind of a rise of education and awareness around like Black mental health and just providing safe spaces for people of color at these systematically racist institutions. Um, I think a lot of it has come from just, um, I think there's kind of two sides to look at it. So I think with, I think a lot of it has kind of been um, triggered or a catalyst for that was the events that have happened over the summer. And so for a lot of people of color, for black people is very much um, kind of that last element or that last drop that is causing things to bubble. And I think with that and, and living in a pandemic and, and, and not being able to escape kind of messages or images 
or different stories about systematic racism or, or explicit racism or, or discrimination. I think for a lot of Black people, it's just things are bubbling right now and there's an inability to continue to suppress or, or to kind of stay ahead of things. And also I think an appreciation and awareness um, for our unique needs relative to mental health and support. And then I think for, for everybody else who, who doesn't identify as black, I think it's very like same triggering event over the summers, but I think for that, it kind of forced um, the black experience and the black narrative into everybody else's reality because the world had kind of stopped during a pandemic and everybody was um, um, forced to witness the murder, murder of George Dest. And I think through that, um, this is kind of in, in, in an odd way, I think kind of created a bridge amongst the two communities, just in that this is some, this is an experience that no one was able to escape or no one's able to shake in um, people for different reasons and different motivations feel compelled to need to address and, and do something about. Absolutely. And Khan, to your experience as like a high school guidance counselor, um, how do you feel like the support systems for students of color and particular black students have kind of changed over time because from like what I've heard and seen guidance counselors have not always been a, a great support system for people of color and BIPOC individuals in general just with their own preconceived notions and they're typically white and there's not really a lot of anti-racist training in conjunction with becoming a counselor so how has that been to your experience as a Black person? And do, have you seen any like systemic changes over time or do you think that we're still kind of working towards it? Um, I think before because um, issues of, you know, anti-racist trainings or even understandings or multicultural approaches to, to therapy or to counseling or support weren't mandatory, weren't as recognized or as appreciated as much. And so because of that, um, you largely have um, mental health workers, which include guidance counselors who, kind of, who either rely on personal experiences and knowledge or um, through their own volition and motivation, seek out particular um, professional development. So it's not to say that um, therapists or guidance counselors that aren't um, people of color, aren't BIPOC, aren't Black, aren't able to do so. It's just more that the likelihood of them having certain understandings or knowledge, unless, you know, based on their own personal experiences or something caused them to seek it out, I think that's the biggest difference. And so um, what then happens is that you have a slew of professionals who are there and dedicated to, to meet the needs of a student population, but aren't necessarily equipped to do so. And, and I think in terms of fairness, it's not just about those individuals. I think it's also about um, the institutions that they work in and, and in the same way that those in individuals are responsible for, for caring for the needs of the student population, the institutions that they work for are responsible for, for catering and, and, and addressing the needs of the professionals or the clinicians. And so I think it's a top-down approach that kind of needs to change. And um, you, you're seeing some sprinklings of, of, of those changes occur, but it also de depends in the context in which that academic institution exists, right? There's, there's a large difference between a university and the budget that they'll have and the means to, to create or allocate resources versus a private school, let's say like a high school or a public high school, which then is very limited and, and regulated very much by the province or certain regulations. And so I think that really has an impact and effect along with just um, the availability of um, professional mental health professionals who 
are are suitable or appropriate to deal with a BIPOC population or um, have the willingness to, or desire to work in academic institutions. Absolutely. And I guess kind of Vanessa and Shakira, reflecting on your experiences as McGill students, I know that being Black at McGill, correct me if I'm wrong, but it wasn't there your first year, was it? No. no. So you're both in second year? I'm in fourth or third, year, actually. Oh, okay. So Shakira, you've seen it all. Uh, <laughs> you felt it. So how has that been kind of seeing this transformation of providing closed spaces for Black folks at McGill versus like in my first year at McGill, there was no like anti-racist training, no education around that. There was a little bit of training on like gender inclusivity and pronouns, but that was pretty much the extent of it. And then some really informal, poor indigenous education training that they like made us do in res that nobody paid attention to. So how has it been for y'all and how do you feel like these closed spaces have helped Black folks? Or do you even think that what's provided now is like just the beginning? I definitely think like what's provided now is just the beginning. And I think there's so much more room to grow and expand on the current projects that are being done. Um, when I think back to four years ago, uh, Blackness was not a conversation that really happened at McGill, unless you were a Black person talking to another Black person about your experiences. Um, there wasn't, there wasn't even, it wasn't, it wasn't a conversation and there wasn't even a recognition for the fact that like these spaces needed to exist on an administrative level. Um, and if they did, if it, if there was a recognition, I think it was like sometimes very superficial um, and didn't actually work towards tangible change. Um, for black students, but I think these spaces are so important because being a black student on the Miguel campus is very, very, very hard for a lot of black students. There's a lot of racism and discrimination and prejudice that black students have to face from other students, from administrative staff, from their professors, from their TAs. And so not having a safe space for students to talk about their experiences and just reflect on their experiences can be really harmful because then you kind of get into this cycle where you're not able to talk about it. You're not able to like think about what's going on and you just you just keep it in. And like when you're keeping it in, it just, I find it does more harm than it does good. So I, I really value the project that we're working on and like the projects that are happening to create closed spaces for more black students because it provides a space for healing, honestly, it provides a space where students are able to talk about their experiences without fear of judgment, without fear of misunderstanding. Because when a black student says to another black student, yeah, this professor did XYZ microaggression, that other black student instantly gets it. You don't have to explain why it was a microaggression, why it was harmful, why it was a problem. You're already in a community with people who understand your experience and are able to provide support. And I think when you don't have an administration that is doing consistent work to provide that support, it's really important that these spaces are there so at least other students can support one another through Yeah, I totally agree with that. Career. Even just reflecting on my first year, well, it was last year, um, 
like the first face I saw was actually a black face and it, it was it was very nice and I felt included pretty much right off the bat um my floor fellow um was actually black so and I had um black um friends on my floor as well so that was something that I didn't really feel isolated about like I didn't feel like I had to search for other spaces because I had that community but I know that not a lot of individuals do have that space. I sort of lucked out, um, as I would say. And yeah, like when an administration isn't providing um, these spaces, it sort of feels like an us against the world kind of thing. You know, when you're keeping it all in, like Shaq said, it's it's sort of like you have to assimilate to the university's climate just to survive but we need to be addressing the needs of our students because we are a part of the student population. Even though there might not be many of us, we are included, we should be included. Um, so that is really why I do value the spaces that we're providing right now. Mm -hmm. I think to like build off of that too, like I think having spaces that are also like recognized and promoted by the administration is really helpful too because the administration has such a big capacity compared to like different black student groups like BSN and MASS who are doing phenomenal work but at the end of the day like they are also students and they are only student organizations and the resources and their capabilities are limited so when you have an administration that recognizes the need and actually does work at an administrative level specifically for black students it opens up so many different possibilities that weren't available prior because all the other initiatives were student-run initiatives that just yeah. don't have the same resources unfortunately no absolutely and I I really appreciate it because McGill is very white from the top down like it's all white and there's a lot of very interesting things that I you know, see on the kind of like smaller community pages. I know a couple months ago, there was kind of like that retaliation of like, we should have a European the Union crap. Yeah. Like all these white kids were just like, let's get together. And like, yeah. And so I feel like for people listening, and this is something that I'm still learning, but I think a lot of white people still don't understand that reverse racism is like not a thing. But for people who are still like, well, why don't I get a group? You know, like I I suffer this and I suffer that and blah, blah, blah. How can we respond to this understanding and like demystify that like providing black folks with a safe space is not exclusionary. I know it's so basic, but some people still need to hear it. So that's what I'm asking. <laughs> I think, um, I mean, I'm not, not to say this is the, the solution for everything, but I think part of it comes as well to a certain level of knowledge or understanding and that um, people are looking at it on one end in terms of something that's being given to the black community that other communities maybe aren't given and feeling that this is exclusionary, that this is putting maybe the black community on a pedestal and being unfair, unjust. But I think what's important is with a lot of things in life, balance, including balance perspective. And so to look at one end in terms of 
the like where we are now and, and to look at that form in terms of uh, that form of um, equity and by you know get creating this space I think you also look at look at where is this coming from and so if you look at the other end towards well you can't look at it in terms and say scream for equality at the at the end saying the black community is getting something that we're not without understanding that it comes from a history where that equality wasn't there that that the experience that other groups have had the privileges the resources the benefits is not something that the black communities had and so to that reason whether you want to see it as a form of equity or as a form of compensation or as a form of you know appropriate retribution or so that's what makes it different and i think if that message is communicated and understood and then knowledge or history of will hear or how the differences have existed over time and this is a way of, of trying to create a sense of equity perhaps that for some people at the very least not for everybody but perhaps that will allow people to understand um why it is why it is that this is being done right i think a lot of people understand the concept of making up for something it's just you have to explain incompleteness the reason why something needs to be made up for why is there this compensation and i think uh, if people kind of are willing to listen to that like if you have your opinion and you feel it's unfair that's fine right like it's it's okay to have a difference of opinion or a different narrative so long as you're open to understanding why it is that these these affordances or the, these resources or these efforts are being made in the black community i think if people keep an open ear to that then they'll understand it, it's about creating a balance it's about establishing equity it's about you know like in the same way that people are looking for equality and what's given the black community to other people, well, the black people has been screaming for equality throughout history and over time. And so if you understand that, I think a lot of people might be able to appreciate why these efforts um, occur. And also the fact that the ideal is not to have these in place. The ideal is not to need to make up for something. The ideal is that where appropriate equality does exist throughout and then where needed equity right. is applied. I would definitely, um say even to those um, on the topic of reverse racism, like this is definitely a systemic issue. There's a lot of history behind um, the issues that are faced by the black community. We've been facing them for a long time and they still propagate in the society that we're in today. Um, yeah, but on the topic of reverse racism, what I usually say is that one can experience prejudice from anyone that's that's a fact, but racism is deep rooted. It's systemic, it's institutional. It's, it, it's perpetuated in the systems that we are a part of right now. So that's why say a white person um, experiences an instance of like being attacked based on their um, race. It's usually something that's an instance thing, but it doesn't perpetuate this idea that whiteness, whiteness is already the norm within our own system. So it's sort of, okay, now I'm getting in a tangent. <laughs> I don't know what I'm saying anymore. Um, yeah, does anyone wanna take over from me? <laughs> yeah. No. I think it's, oh, go ahead, Shaq, No, like, I get what you're saying. Like whiteness is the norm when you, right. why, like, I guess I would always pose the question, like, why do you need a white only space when your experience is centered every day, all day? When we are learning, we are learning about the white experience. When, like, I, pe when people ask that, I always ask them, okay, like, how many non-white authors are on your syllabus right now? You know, like, very rarely are, will we, you be in a class unless it's like a specific 
POC geared class, like ethnic relations or like black studies or like African studies, whatever, whatever, you're not going to find people of color on the syllabus. They're going to be white authors speaking to a white experience. So it's like when that is the norm, when that is what is only being talked about, when that is what's being redistributed over and over again, of course, spaces are going to be needed that speak about something else. And it's okay to not want white people who don't understand those experiences in those spaces because at the end of the day, like they don't understand and they will never understand. They can try and understand, but they will never be able to be like, yes, I fully understand your experience. I know how you feel because they don't and they never will because they're white and their experience allows them to experience the world in a very different way. So I think, I think when when people say that white like or black only or just like POC only spaces are exclusionary, I think it's it's it I think it's really important to like reflect on like why do you think that way? Why do you feel the need to be included in absolutely everything that is happening that is going on when your experience is already the norm, is already the experience that is is the default. I think it also comes to um, contemporary definitions and, and, and understandings and conceptualizations of what racism is and how it's being addressed. And so I think in the, I think very much now what you're hearing is, I mean, we've mentioned it repeatedly in, in our discussion today is about the, um, system, uh, systemic racism. And so with that, I feel that sometimes when people, people who don't identify as Black or, or non-BIPOC feel excluded, let's say by um, creating of safe spaces, it almost sound, it almost has the connotations as though they're taking it personally or on an individual level. Whereas um, taking that step in terms of creating spaces is also very much um, addressing uh, a systemic issue in that this, the system doesn't allow for certain, like you said, certain experiences or the like a feeling of our sense of belonging or inclusion. And so this is a way of, of compensating for that, if you will. Um, and so it's, I think, and that's also important to understand that it's not on an it's oftentimes not on an individual level, but rather in response to how the system creates, you know, a two, well, it's a two-tiered system where the system creates completely different realities and experiences for people of color and, and, and people who are white. And I think if that's also understood as well, they'll understand that it's not something that's an attack to that individual. It's more a response to the system that doesn't cater or reflect who we are as people. And so as a result, we need to find something outside or additional or extra to be able to make up for that lack or that, that deficit, if you will. And I think that's also really important um, for people to understand, like when you speak about the notion of reverse racism, again, like that's also based on, on like a systemic conceptualization of it in that the reason why a lot of people say that reverse racism doesn't exist is that black people do not have the power within the system to be able to oppress or to engage in reverse racism as well. And that's also something that's really important to understand. And so I feel like a lot of times it's, it's, it's the, like some of the greater barriers are just a lack of understanding or antiquated like um, uh, definitions of what racism is or what the discussion that we're having um, is and the language that people are using around it to try and understand that. And I, I think that's a huge piece as well. Absolutely. And I really appreciate that. Um... I, yeah, I think about this a lot because we recently had an event with, and Vanessa was there with Jet Setting Jasmine and King Noir. And 
this question, it, it makes me laugh a little bit because when, you know, you, you, you hear white people say like it's exclusionary and blah, blah, blah. Jasmine proposed the que- like the question to the audience during this seminar that we had. And she asked everyone like, what's a safe space that black people can be engaged in where they're not at harm. They're not at risk. There's no place um, for them to essentially like be brutalized. And she's American. So there's like a different, different, but the same. So I'm not going to like exclude Canada from this situation, but we were in the chats and everyone was like, no, no, no. And me and my roommate were really, really thinking. And like, we said, like, we didn't write it in the chat, but we, we had the, the conversation about like, maybe the shower. And then we're like, but Brianna Taylor was in her bed and she was still shot and killed by the police. So when, like, when I hear this question, my first instinct is to go back to that conversation where I literally had to sit there and think, and I couldn't even that process, I I was incapable of, of finding a space, an institution, a situation where black people are literally entirely safe. And like, I will never forget that for the rest of my life. Like, that's something that I will keep with me and like hold inside. But when we're kind of talking about mental health and mental health within the community, I think even just like having that conversation, like gives me anxiety to just think about like, there's no spaces for Black folks to be, feel safe, to feel like they are okay like not even in their homes. So I know that there's like a lot of different understandings to like collective trauma and community healing and stuff like that. But why is seeking out for people who don't really understand why is seeking out mental health um, in the black community so important? Well, I feel like you kind of hit it on hit the nail on the head when you said like, when you think about the fact that there aren't spaces for black people, it gives you anxiety being a black person and recognizing that there are no safe spaces for us unless we create them ourselves is is like I can't tell you the amount of anxiety that that gives that like and that is something that we can't escape from that is something that that is a reality that we have to live with 24 7 and that takes a toll not only are you constantly or I guess I'll speak for myself like not only do am I constantly anxious about like that fact, but it's also like, then you have to, you also have to think about like the harm that black people are constantly experiencing once they experience instances of racism or microaggressions or discrimination or whatever it is, that too takes a toll. So you're living in this state of anxiety where you're like, okay, I'm not safe. And then you're experiencing all of these harmful experiences that just continuously prove that you're not safe. And it is so damaging to your mental health. It can be so damaging to your mental health to exist in that hyperactive state. And so I think seeking out support for your mental health is so important because I feel like there's a lot of Black people who kind of have these feelings and feel like they need, they, they have to suffer alone because there aren't any resources that are available or they, they think that there aren't any resources available. But like getting mental health support is like one of those ways that we can kind of work to combat, combat that, like the situation, you know, like anti-Blackness is something that is inherent and very much ingrained in the world that we live in today, but like at least 
seeking out mental health resources is something that the individual person can do and like work towards now, you know? Does that make, does that make sense? Yeah. And I think it's also hard because um, like when we're considering the mental health professionals available to black students and black people in general, there aren't a lot of black mental health professionals. Um, obviously like we have seen a rise, but like the reality is not everyone has that resource. So then like there's that anxiety in your mind. Like I know from my experience last year seeking out a therapist, I had that anxiety um, even just going there and I canceled all of my appointments because I thought, I don't know if they'll be able to understand me. Maybe they'll think that I'm exaggerating, you know, all those thoughts are just circulating um, in your head. And I think a lot of that would have been alleviated if I had someone to talk to of someone with experiences similar to mine, um, like who is black. Um, yeah, so that definitely could have alleviated those feelings, I believe. Mm -hmm. And I think even to like, right now we don't have as many like black therapists, mm -hmm. unfortunately, but like even just like racial training, uh, I think would be something that is like very, would be very effective for non-BIPOC or like non-black therapists to get because like Vanessa was talking about how she canceled her appointments at the wellness hub because she was nervous. I have gone to appointments at the wellness hub with non-black therapists at McGill and have had to explain why my experience of racism at McGill is a problem and is traumatic and is harmful because there's that lack of awareness. So then you get that like, when you have to explain why your trauma is trauma to a therapist, it's like, well- That goes against the whole principle of validation. Well, exactly, exactly. Yeah, for sure. I don't know, Khan, if you had anything to say or you want to reiterate, even from the like the perspective of a counselor too, like, do you see this very frequently? Do you see like long-term um, like effects of black folks seeking therapy or like, how does that change over time? And how does that essentially help people? Because I know that there's a lot of like physiological, like not repercussions, but illnesses that are very predominant in BIPOC communities. So it's really interesting to see your, your actual body kind of translate this psychological trauma into like cardiovascular issues and like different concerns. So I don't know if you had any anything to speak or say on that. Um, I think uh, what's, what's been positive is to see this, this kind of, um, growth within, I think growth or change within the Black community across different ages uh, in terms of uh, recognizing and appreciating the importance and sometimes benefits or needs of, of mental health support. And so you see this huge flux of the community moving towards those services. But on the other hand, what is further highlighted, which has been mentioned, is that there's a scarcity of appropriate therapists. And, and again, it's not to say that people who aren't Black or people who aren't of color can, um, who are therapists cannot be in a position to provide that healing and that understanding and support. It's just when you look at the prevalence of having that appropriate knowledge or experience or understanding or skill um, within within therapists or the mental health field, more often than not, it exists with um, clinicians and therapists who are BIPOC or people of color or specific for, for Black people who, 
who are black. And so um, like Shakira had mentioned is that I think when, when dealing with uh, personal issue, uh, life problem, mental health issue, there's already a burden or a toll that that takes in terms of being able to manage that or support yourself and carry on through that. And, and you don't want to have to add um, to that toll or that burden by having to kind of, you know, like I was mentioned before, we explain and almost kind of re-justify why it is that you're seeking help or you're in the position that you're in to begin with. Uh, and so I think, you know, this, um, the desire or, the, or, or the, the pursuit of validation for our experiences, I think is universal and human. And to be invalidated, I think is universally um, damaging um, and, and, and hurtful. And so I think for those reasons, it, it, it kind of further, um, it kind of just furthers the, the, the need and the importance of having appropriate therapists, no matter what kind of the, the presenting issue is, you would want on an appropriate therapist. You want someone who's understanding and experience. And when it comes to issue, the intersectionality of race across everybody, like the aspect of every aspect of someone's life who is racialized, it's, it's very much the same thing. Um, and so with that, the importance of having ideally a combination of more people of color who move towards mental health services, um, not only to provide for the community, but to also model for the community that that is something that, that's, that could be authentic and, and could be useful. Uh, and then also for those who don't identify as BIPOC or people of color, I think also as well, valuing the importance and kind of um, adhering to the responsibility that they took on to, to meet the greater good or serve the public or society, which means all aspects of it and, and, and taking necessary steps and getting the necessary training to be able to do just that. Absolutely. So kind of going back to being Black at McGill and y'all's initiative, I guess collectively, I'd love to hear about kind of like what your experience was at being Black at McGill. Like how did you, what was the facilitation process? Kind of give people a little bit of an idea because I think we all understand at this point why this was so important and why it needed to happen. But I think people are curious as to like what y'all do and um, what's been going on. So I don't know who wants to speak to that first. Um, well, yeah, um, teaching and learning services um, collaborated with student services and also our shared spaces, I think they were formerly the Res Project from last year. And I think reached out to Khan. Um, he's the developer of this initiative. So we're very grateful for him. And we just started to work on an outline for a program that could be useful for Black students um, and really address their mental health needs to provide that space. And yeah, how long have we been working on this now? A few months, I think starting January. Before January. Like at end of November, I think. Oh, wow. Yeah, I think it was, I think it was like right around December. Yeah, end of November, December. It's been, it's been wild. I think it was really cool to kind of see a recognition on the administration. Eh, hold, eh, words. <laughs> it was really cool to see a recognition emerge on the administrative level, but like actually being in like actually getting to the workshops and starting to facilitate the workshops. Like I cannot, there are not words to describe how, how profoundly amazing that experience has been, both as like a facilitator, but just like as a black person, like being able to hold that space for our participants and like being able to have conversations 
that I have never been able to have outside of my personal friend groups or my families is amazing. And I think it, it's really, it was, it, we aimed, like we tried to make this a space of healing for our participants, but I think it's been like a space of healing for myself as well. And it's kind of like helped me rectify a lot of the tensions that I had with like my blackness and my identity as a McGill student. And so like being able to merge the two in a positive way has been, has been fantastic. Yeah, I know, like myself and the rest of us were taking on a facilitation role, but I also feel like I am a participant within the workshop when these sessions are going on. Um, when we're having those discussions, I feel compelled to contribute myself and these feelings that were in me just bottled up that I didn't know were there, all of a sudden just spew out. Um, and it, and it really is a space of healing, I would say on my part. And I hope that is being provided for the students who are participating as well. Mm -hmm. And I think too, it was, it's nice like being able to talk to other students and also recognize like the overlap in the experiences. Cause I think for like, for me, like I know McGill can be racist and I know a lot of black students have experienced like racism and like you kind of hear that throughout throughout the grapevine but it was kind of nice having people all in the same room speaking to experiences that like all of us unfortunately have had and can relate to and can understand and it was it was nice to to be able to feel like you're not alone in your experiences and like collectively lean on one another um, as we work through understanding and overcoming and um yeah understanding and overcoming our McGill experience yeah. definitely think it's very timely like given the pandemic the situation that we're in right now all of us are isolated we can go out and you know see our friends um and talk to them about these things for example like there were much more opportunities to do that um say like with the black student network i wasn't a part of it but i know some students are and you know that feeling of isolation is very real so i'm glad that we can provide that space in a time such as now i think it's the perfect time to really foster that community and like you said um the feeling of not being alone mm -hmm, for sure and Khan, from a facilitator's like perspective, how was, was this presented to you? Did the McGillis administration ask for this to happen? Like how was this essentially fostered? Um, so I, um, over the, towards the end of the summer, I had reached out to McGill actually. Um, I had reached out to McGill with, with a desire to, to see if I could help support um, the Black student community at McGill. So my original vision was um, both just with my clinical background and then uh, being an alumni at, at McGill for two degrees, I, I felt that I was in a unique position to potentially give back and be able to, to support or help with some of the necessarily he healing. So my original vision was to do that with, with um, using my expertise and what I knew, which was um, talking about just um, clinical support, but then also as well, um, I like loosely designed a student workshop um, designed for black students um, that I suggest that I came to McGill and suggested as something that I wanted to do. That ended up um, unfolding where I was um, contracted and I'm currently right now 
um, as a consultant for McGill to help support with the, the design and the implementation and unfolding of the anti-Black racism plan. Um, so that's how this, I, my relationship with McGill um, was created. And the workshop was very much that. It was the original idea and then something that I brought back that I, that I wanted to do. And so with that, um, I had been connected with um, Charlene A. Lewis Sutherland from Teaching and Learning Services, who also helped support um, student services. And then together she connected me with Vanessa and Shakira and our third, um, our third facilitator, Simi, um, and then the other departments who helped along in terms of like um, the design and, and, and the nuts and bolts and, and communication and whatnot. So uh, that's kind of how it all came together. And kind of, I guess everyone can kind of talk to this, reflecting back on, because I know the series is over, almost Two over. Okay, so we're in, the, we're in the heat of it, but we're kind of coming to a close. Why are initiatives like this so important, especially in the like school context? I think this could even go beyond university and go to high schools, even elementary schools, honestly. Um, why is it so important for initiatives like this to kind of expand and in my opinion, like be mandatory across like all post-secondary schools? I think it just has to do with the fact that universities say that they're there to, or university educational institutions in general, say that they're there to support their students, but there are certain ways to support certain kinds of students. And so initiatives like these, I think, really speak to the fact that, like, hold on, let me, let me re-say this. Okay. So I think universities and educational institutions, like, they, they're always talking about, like, how they're there to support their students. But realistically, a lot of the supports that they have in place right now do not support all of their students, do not support students that come from non-white, non-rich, non-potentially conservative backgrounds. And so initiatives like these speak to those experiences and become a support mechanism for those experiences that exist outside of the box that um, is typically typically used for support. And I think it's really important because like those communities that aren't supported under the current framework of support are the communities that, mm, oftentimes need the most support, are experiencing the most struggles, experiencing the most harm. So I think events and workshops like being Black at McGill are like one of the few um, out of many steps that universities and different educational institutions can take to actually start tangibly supporting the students that are paying tuition to be there and getting a degree, especially when there are so many different resources available for students outside of that demographic. Right. And just, it's that idea of targeted, targeted support, you know, and um, like really addressing the needs of students whose voices are not heard or not amplified because they are not the majority. Um, we can't just leave them behind. And I think, what was it? Is it the third session? We called that a story untold because of that reason, because their voices are not being heard, because the stories are not being encouraged to be told and to be accounted for um, when it comes to like the administration level getting up there. Um, 
so yeah, this is really just the first step. I know after the workshop series, we're going to have a data collection event um, where um, students can propose ideas for the university to implement and make our spaces more inclusive um, in the future. So I'm very excited to see where that goes and if it actually um, gets up there and it, you know, is brought out. I think like activities like these two um, may, might be a way, like might make pr prospective students more comfortable with the idea of coming to institutions like this. I think like when I was looking into university four years ago, I honestly did, I'd really do my research. Otherwise I would have realized that McGill isn't super diverse. And so like, I was definitely in for a shock when I got to campus and I was like, ah! if I had done my research, I probably wouldn't have came here. But I think um, for students who are concerned about this, like initiatives like these kind of show that there are there is support in, in place when you get here and you won't be alone in your experience. You won't have to figure this out by yourself. You won't have to be your own support system. And there are people there who care about you and who want to support you and want to see you thrive. And I think that's really important, especially if we like are looking to get more diverse campuses and to get more diverse experiences in the academic world. We need things like this to signal that we are open to and are able to support diverse experiences. Absolutely. And yeah, I just want to say from the bottom of my heart, I appreciate all the work that y'all do. I know it's like super taxing and I'm sure that getting up to the McGill, you know, the, the they just seem like imaginary people to me at this point, but speaking to them and communicating with them, I'm sure was its own triumph in itself. So I really, really appreciate all the work that you do and all the effort. I know it's like, especially as students, it's really not easy to do, you know, multiple things at the same time. And then when you're adding like such a personal and just like heavy experience onto that, I, I think I just really appreciate it. Um, but for people who are interested in like learning more and potentially want to come to McGill next year and want to participate, um, where can people find more information about being Black at McGill? Uh, well, we actually have a page on the student services website. I think it's mcgill.ca slash being dash black dash McGill, if I'm remembering correctly. Um, so that's somewhere where you can find out more information. And we also have a mailing list. It should be on the website as well. I know our shared spaces, um, they have a Facebook page too, and they post content about being black at McGill as well. All right. Well, thank you all so much for taking the time. I really, really appreciate it. Thank you for listening to the Ladies Let's Talk About Sex podcast. All of the Being Black at McGill links will be available on our Instagram and also in our podcast description. If you're interested in learning more, uh, please follow us at the Ladies Let's Talk About Sex podcast. And make sure to stay tuned every Monday for new episodes. Thanks for listening.